0: Now, this is about to be an awesome Bible hack. Got a special guest here with me today. Um, You're about to meet them, um, so let's get into it. What's up, y'all? As I said, special guest. We got the one and only True Yoda. Shout out to everyone in the bodega. You guys like Baby Yoda too much. This is the only True Yoda. Nonetheless, let's get into this Bible hack. So today we're going to touch on something uh, from that's going to pull in Old Testament to New Testament. Quite frankly, Genesis, all the way down to Revelation. It's very present. I think it's important for today. Um, So let's get into it. This is Bible hacking. lovely black tea with bitters. So let's get into this Bible hack. Very interested in this one. As I promised, we'll start with Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So that's our quote-unquote scripture reading for the day. Let's jump into this. So before we go deeper into the word, he started with the word, we're definitely going to end with the word. i got to lay some foundation here. I'm going to introduce you to Phineas P. Quemby. Phineas Quemby from the 1800s was a clockmaker, a mentalist, and a mesmerist. A, a mesmerist is another word for like a hypnotist. So this dude believed, you know, he could, um, um, you know, heal people with his mind, particularly heal himself, with his mind, so he taught methodologies for you know think positive and you know you you can fix your body because all thought comes all all sickness comes through thought. He was also the founding father of what we call the New Thought spiritual movement, uh, and New Thought is unique. New Thought is different than New Age. Sounds similar, but it's not. I'm going to show today. First of all, New Thought isn't that new, but more importantly, in my opinion. In the context of today, what we're speaking about right now, New Thought is even more dangerous than the New Age. They're both, you know, not of God, not of the Bible, but New Age tends to focus on more metaphysical stuff. New Thought specifically tries to, it reminds me of what was happening in the Colossian church, where they were doing what's called syncretism, where they were mixing, you know, the local ideas with you know, local pagan ideas with the Bible. And that's super problematic. And New Thought, in my opinion, at a high level, does a little bit of that. New Thought uses, you'll notice this in a minute, very specifically language that even sounds Christian. Let's get into it. So, Phineas I'll quote from some of his writings a couple of you gave me feedback that when I'm quoting writings I should show it so boom I'm I literally am showing you the screen there now so I'm not making any of this up like this is his writing. So table of contents, you can just scan through it quickly. You see stuff like mind and matter. You see stuff like parables, very uniquely biblical word, at least for most people who've read the Bible. When you hear parables, you think, oh, Jesus used to tell parables. So you, you're already seeing them using language to try to put your, your head in a certain direction. Look at the, the other column, a prophecy concerning the nation. Remember, this dude was in the 1800s. Eh? But he was already talking about you know, prophecies for the nation, the use of language, um, clairvoyance. So that's you know, something that's forbidden in the Bible. He's casually mentioned it there, superstitious beliefs. What's the relation of God to man? You should be picking up a lot of similarities, even patriotism. Nothing's wrong with patriotism. But you know, there's a lot of similarities here to some of what we see today. Let's go a little bit deeper even. Um, More from his table of contents, and I'll quote you from the actual book here in a second. Um, The cause of man's troubles, um, the comparison between Christians 1,800 years ago and now, science and ignorance illustrated, and then, of course, Jesus and his teachings, analyzing religion. So he's very clearly... And if you read any of his works, that that thread continues. He very clearly draws a parallel between science and religion and you know, he's trying to that's why the 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 concept new thought, that's why he's using that terminology. He's saying this is a new way to look at, you know, the the, this old book, which is awesome, but you know, we we need to modernize it a little bit, so this is what we're gonna do. So a lot of the ideas that we, we 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 see now and we hear Things like you know be positive and manifest things into being these things did not come from the Bible like you don't find this this technology or these ideas in the Bible these come from these types of writers in the 1800s. Like this is not two, three, four thousand years old. This is the 1800s. Like, that's when people started thinking, hey, you know, we can modernize this Bible stuff a little bit. And, you know, you could just be positive and, you know, and manifest, you know, that, hey, I, I'm going to speak this into being. This, this is the founding father of that type of, of, of technology or, or, or idea, if you want to call it that. Let's go a little bit deeper. So the right, and this is a quote from Phineas's book, the writings of the Bible have recognized these two principles, and he's talking about spirituality versus science. Um, And the religious world has tried in vain to separate them for their separation is based on false ideas, which are opinions instead of wisdom. So he's writing his opinion on other people's opinions, what he's calling opinion. They have always regarded the scientific man as a mystery and thus have been trying to divide their own houses or theories. And at the introduction of science, their theories must fall. He's saying the Bible has science in it. It's a science book. We need to look at the Bible as a science book, and we need to try to extract the scientific in addition to the religious out of the Bible because they're one and the same. Let me, let me touch on that just to be super clear. It's not the full point of this, but of this Bible hack, but let, let, let me be very clear. The Bible is not a science book. I'll give you one simple reason that clarifies that. Science changes. As we discover stuff and invent stuff like telescopes and airplanes, science changes. You know, boats, science changes. We used to think the world was flat. We discovered aircrafts and boats and we realized, oh, the world isn't flat at all. It's round. Like, this is why the Bible is not a science book. If you try to insert science into the Bible, you're going to get bad science. The Bible is not trying to convey a scientific method. The Bible is trying to convey God's messaging to you. More on that in another time. So uh, back to Mr. Phineas and his stuff. So last thing I want to show: these are some of the, about New Thought. These are some of the tenets of New Thought. Infinite intelligence of God is omnipotent and omnipresent. You know that is again very biblical-sounding words. Spirit is the ultimate reality. True humanhood is divine. Write that down and kind of store it in your back pocket for a minute. We're going to definitely come back to that one because that's very problematic. You should recognize that that's problematic. If not, we're going to delve into it here in a minute. Um, Divinely attuned thought is a positive force for good. Super problematic. Definitely not biblical. All disease is mental in origin. Right thinking has a healing effect. So what about when the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked in its ways? Who could know it? The Bible makes it clear you can't right think yourself into salvation. You can't, you know, manifest yourself into salvation by or into healing or into anything else. You'll be healed if it's God's will for you to be healed. You'll you, like God is sovereign and omnipotent and omnipresent, and He is the boss. You don't. You're not divine. You don't get to manifest stuff and make stuff and you know. Or I'll just think hard on this and surround myself with you know good stuff and good stuff. That is not scriptural. That comes from this type of stuff, which popped up. And like I said, he's one of the founding fathers in the 1800s. It is not from the biblical age. So just stop assuming when you hear people, you know, trying to insert this this idea, this concept into what they're preaching or teaching and and trying to cover it off as this is the Bible. It is not. It is heresy. And we'll, we'll climb deeper into it. Here we go. This is the thing that got me started down this road. Saw this on social media last week, this week, I can't remember. If you surround yourself with people who are not accustomed to your success, they become fearful because you are reflecting back something to them that they don't recognize. People who want the best for you want you to be your best. So surround yourself with people who are going to fill your cup until your cup runneth over. Quote Oprah. Now, setting aside the fact that in the description of this video on YouTube, I've put a link to Oprah, old recording of Oprah on her TV show, arguing, um, even Mm -hmm. arguing with an audience member that there are multiple ways to salvation. You could be through Hindu, through God, through Islam, all heading in the same place. We're all going to end up in heaven. Uh, We don't have to believe in Jesus Christ specifically. You know, there's multiple paths to get there. That's Oprah's belief. like. Click the link if, you, if you've never heard her say that. That is 100% her belief. And while this is not explicitly about Oprah or Phineas Quimby, I need you to see the, the thread that's running through there. This bad thought, bad theology, bad understanding of scripture is dangerous because it's adding and subtracting to what's actually in the Bible. So Oprah here used the words purposefully to make you a line that the language oh this is probably christian because your cup runneth over and i'll be super honest with you here when i saw this initially i couldn't pinpoint what the problem was like i didn't look at this and uh, and immediately oh this is flawed and this is why i know why no i had to do one of the things that's the founding principles of bible hacking i have to go and study i had to go and dig the spirit and my, my limited knowledge of the Bible after, you know, 40 plus years of being a Christian, nonetheless, my limited knowledge of it um, told me something's wrong. Like something, you know, it, something didn't sit right. But nonetheless, I went and I did the study. First Timothy, um, you know, study to show yourself approved. Um, um, Peter, you know, be prepared to defend this gospel that you've been given. I, I, I when it didn't sit right, I went and I looked up. And that's where I started to do my defense. So I say that to say, don't ever feel like, oh, because you didn't catch it right away or you don't know it that perfectly, you know, you're not. No, just got to do the legwork. And this is why we have to surround ourselves, not with good people who are going to help us, although that's good. We need to engulf ourselves in the word. This is why we have to... Be consuming the word constantly so that when something goofy like this pops up on our timelines and social media or a friend says it, something inside of us should be able to say, "Mm, something's not right there. And at least point you to the source of all that's right, your Bible, to say, let me go and look up what's really going on here. So that's my encouragement. So cup runneth over. I then promptly went and said, where is cup runneth over showing up? And that's how we got to Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's shepherd talk. Psalms 23 was David, former shepherd, shepherd writing about his experiences as a shepherd and kind of um, drawing a metaphor between Yahweh and his good shepherd. So David was familiar with shepherd shepherding life. So he used terms like your rod and your staff, because that's tools a shepherd had. But then he changes the narrative slightly in the metaphor. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is why we need to pay keen attention when we are reading and studying the Bible, because the details matter. The details matter. We switch from shepherd terminology to friend or brother terminology. You prepare a table before me. Sheep don't eat off of tables. He's not not talking about a shepherd anymore in the presence of my enemies. And now I need you to see how the narrative switches one more time. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. You notice the little cross there? The cross is an interpreter's note saying, when we translated this from the original text, the text here was pointing to the Hebrew God, Yahweh. That's who anoints your head with oil. That's why there's a the little cross there. That's why my cup runs over. My cup doesn't run over, pardon me, because I've surrounded myself with good people. My cup runs over because you, Yahweh, caused my cup to run over. Key difference, significant difference between this and this. And if we allow someone to put this in front of us, and we believe it's Christian because we hear your cup runneth over. We miss this because, again, we've minimized God. We've put ourselves and our friends and the people around us in the position of Yahweh. And now all we need to do, surround ourselves with good people and rock on. We're going to be all right. But that is not what the text was trying to say. And it is super dangerous. I would go a step further and say wicked. Not of you to post this if you inadvertently posted it. But the people that are thinking this stuff up, believe me, they're not doing it accidentally. They're using the terms to lure you in on purpose to make you feel that it's okay. Let's go to Genesis. And yes, I'm continuing the thread. And Yahweh God took the man and set him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, from every tree of the garden, you may freely eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For the day you eat, you're going to die. Simple, right? How did we get from Psalms to Genesis? About to explain you. This was obviously when God created the, the, the garden, um, you know, his representative of, you know, paradise on earth, Eden. That's what Eden was. The entire earth wasn't Eden. Eden had geographic coordinates. That's why they described the geography of Eden with the rivers, et cetera, et cetera. And we were made to understand that this was a representation of where God lived. That's why after man, and, after man sinned, it fell the next thing was and god man heard god walking about in the garden in the shade of the the trees or the shade of the afternoon or something like that this is where god lived this was where his divine council met that's what eden was it wasn't just a garden anyway so that is the, the key there from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat that's what god commanded them let's skip forward to the fall chapter three The most, um, you know, creepy uh, uh, or sneaky or crafty is the term used of all the the, the, the animals. And then there was the serpent. And from the fruit of the, and the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. You catch anything there? The woman said, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Let's kick back for a second. What did God actually say? This is why, again, this is why, again, the details are important when we are reading the Bible. Every, and a, a, a good, one of my teachers, Michael Heiser, says, if it's weird in the Bible, it's probably important. I'm going to go a level further and say, if it's minute, it's probably important. So let's, let's jump back down here. So That God said, you shall not eat for the day you eat. You're going to die. Eve said, you shall not eat. Eve said that God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Lest you die. Eve just added an extra component to what God said. God said, don't eat it. Eve said, don't eat it. But God also said, don't touch it. Otherwise we're going to die. And then the serpent who, by the way, was not a snake. And if you want to get into that, that's a different conversation. Like I said, quote down or comment down at the bottom of this video, uh, topics you want to talk about, things you want to get into, verses that you find weird or, you know, detail that you want to talk about, you know, we'll look at them and we'll, we'll, if, you know, if we can do it, we'll jump into it. So this might be a conversation for another time on why ancient Near Eastern people that the Bible was written to weren't stupid. They didn't think animals spoke. And then suddenly it fell and then animals didn't speak anymore. That's not at all what this text was about, but nonetheless, I digress from that. Let's go back to the text. So Eve added something on to what God said and that you better believe was a part of what caused the failing or the falling of humankind. Cause understand that Eve, when she added the touch. How do you eat the fruit? You got to go and touch it first. So the minute Eve walked up to the fruit and touched it and didn't die, immediately now she has now introduced into her own mind grounds for doubting God because she added something to the text. God said, don't touch it, which God didn't say. And when she touched it and didn't die, "Eh, maybe I could eat it too because God said, don't touch it. And you know, I broke that law and I didn't die. So let me go ahead and eat it. That is the danger of adding or deleting from the text. This is why we are warned not to do that. So fast forward, I promised we'll also touch on Revelation. I did say Genesis all the way through to the Revelation with a stop in Psalms in the middle. Paradise restored. This is the last chapter in the Bible. And he showed me, this is, you know, up in heaven. In, 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 I shouldn't say up in heaven. In John's vision, he showed me the river of the water of life. Choreas, clistil, coming out of the throne of God and the lamb in the middle of its street. And on both sides of the river is the tree of life. Producing fruits, etc., etc. Now, what does this imagery paint? This should paint an image for you. This paints the image of Eden, paradise. God's king, God's, God's, God's divine council meeting place restored. That's what Revelations 20, that's the context of what Revelations 22 is, is, is trying to paint to you. Why? We knew in the middle of the garden was tree of knowledge of good and even and the tree of life. In the garden, there were they, they spoke about, you know, the rivers flowed out of it, etc. The, the, the language is exactly the same between Genesis and Revelation here. That's purposeful. The author knew what he was doing. When he used those terms and put them there, he wanted you to think this is just like Eden. God has fixed everything. He's restored everything. And we're back to the founding beginning of where we needed to be. And the tree of life is there. Why is that important? Let's go to the end of Revelations. Final warning. I testify to everyone who hears the word of prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city that are written in this book. The author here was drawing the parallel. And when we're interpreting text, it's called a hermeneutical um, circle. You need to go through all of the steps. Step one is what's the context? We know the context of this. It is Eden. It's the new Eden. That's what the context of Revelations 22 is, because this is just further down in the chapter. The next thing is, what is the meaning? And the meaning of this is, yes, it's explicitly to Revelations, because it said, don't take away the, uh, to, the book of, to, to the words written in this book of prophecy. But it's, it's, he's drawing a painting. He's saying, don't take this away. And what is the application? of this. So again, hermeneutical cycle, context, meaning, application. And the application is we are painting the picture right back to Genesis because we need you to understand, Mr. reader, that just like in Genesis, adding to the scripture causes harm is dangerous. It will get you put out of Eden. It will take away your share of the tree of life you read the rest of the fall narrative in in genesis genesis 3 and probably a little bit of 4 god said they have now sinned if they stay in sin living eternally it's bad they will be eternally apart from me this is why he put the angel the seraphim i think it said um, at the doorway of eden to not allow them to get access to what to the tree of life because with the tree of life they would have been eternal And then they would have been eternally in sin. This is why what seemed like just a harsh punishment was for our own protection. That's the point of the Genesis narrative. And John, the author of Revelation, is refreshing us all the way back. So there's bookends happening here. Genesis starts with the fall in Eden. Revelation ends with God's new Eden and the warning, don't add Or take away don't do like Eve did don't add to the words just like you shouldn't take away from the words because when you do there are dire consequences this again is why it is so critically important when reading the text catch the details catch the the details mean something we live in a society today where you kind of say anything and you kind of tweet anything and check afterwards if it's true or not that is not that's that's not biblical it's about truth it's about honesty it's about being intellectually honest and it's about doing the work to read and study the text properly that doesn't mean every time you read the bible you got to pull out 20 dictionaries and study it But there are times when you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper to understand clearly what's happening here. So that when someone tries to position something in front of you, even if they use language that sounds like biblical language, even if they use terms like your cup's going to run over. Or, 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 you know, a parable or other terms that sound oh so comfortable to us who have grown up in church or who have just started reading the Bible. Our ability to A, let the Holy Spirit ping our hearts, and B, to go and look at the text and actually study it, is what will protect us from losing our share of the tree of life. Hope this Bible hack has been good. Remember to share it if you liked it. Subscribe. Um, um, the whole works. And most importantly, comment down below if there's topics you want us to cover or you'd like to, you know, a weird verse you have questions about, whatever, whatever. Um, So hopefully this was good. Next Monday, by the way, um, I'll post on this on Instagram, etc. We are going to have something unusual. We're going to talk about Giants and it's going to be with a, a genuine guest host and the guest person i'm actually going to be a guest on someone else's podcast i'll share more about that hopefully you'll be able to catch that as well it will also be on this um um, youtube channel so look forward to that last thing uh we just started a merch store the link is in the description we don't make any profits off of the merch store it's just if you want you know wear a t-shirt or a teacup or whatever that you know talks about the bible that's all it is Um, so links down below look forward to um catching up with you guys again This is Greg, and this has been awesome. Have a good one, guys.